Amen. Please be seated. Please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 16 is where we find ourselves as we methodically walk through the different pieces of armor in the whole armor of God. Remember, this is the armor that Jesus gives to us. This is armor that's battle-tested because he wore it first. And so we know we can uh, be confident in its effectiveness, just as God has described. And we know that we're in a battle, a spiritual battle. Life is a spiritual battle at the core. And so God gives us what we need in Christ to stand up against the forces that come against us. Those forces come from the devil primarily, uh, but the vestiges of the devil affect us as well. He personally, of course, but then there is our flesh that's affected by sin and also the world that's fundamentally opposed to God. So we need this armor to, and to have it put on so that we can stand in the midst of it all. Six pieces of armor are described. We are on the fourth piece now. We've already considered the belt of truth, then the breastplate of righteousness. That's the righteousness of Christ positionally. And then, of course, the gospel boots or the footwear of the gospel that we wear. Now the fourth piece of armor, the shield of faith. And just like the other pieces, this metaphor has its root in other biblical passages, and Paul draws upon this image that would be known to those who are familiar with Scripture. There are many verses I could have picked, but I chose a couple verses to read before the primary, the primary verse of Ephesians 6, verse 16. So follow on your insert. I have those verses there listed for you. This is God's holy word, starting with Proverbs 30, verse 5. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Psalm 28, verse 7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts, and I am helped. My heart exalts, and with my song I give thanks to him. Ephesians 6, 13 through 16. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Let's bow together as I lead us in prayer. Lord, we are grateful for your word, for its power, for your Holy Spirit's ministry with your word in our hearts and through into our lives. I pray, O Lord, that you would help us to understand this metaphor, to understand this picture given by the Apostle Paul in your word, that we might in all circumstances take up the shield of faith so that we could extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, you remember, Paul's using a Roman soldier's armament as his uh, mental image that he's giving for us, the pieces of the armor that a soldier would wear. It's possible that he was chained up to a Roman soldier when he's writing this. He certainly was chained up to a Roman soldier at some point. So he had... Uh, very clear, a very clear picture of what they wore, their equipment, and got to look it over and probably talk with them about what it all meant, what it all did. 
So he's using these pieces as metaphors. And metaphors, of course, have some shortcomings as you come along, so you have to really plumb the depths of what they mean. And then look at other passages, especially as it relates to the shield of faith. Now, for the Roman soldier, they would be assigned two different shields. Um, there was a smaller shield that they would hold when there was a situation that called for hand-to-hand combat an open battlefield where they were going off as individual soldiers and taking on um, opponents. They would have a smaller round shield they would use uh, in one hand and then strike with the other hand with a sword or a dagger, whatever they had as their main weapon. There was another shield, though, that they carried along the way. This is the one that was most common when they fought as, as a congealed group, a group that was lined together. And this would be a large, large shield. And it wasn't a shield that uh, was easy to carry. It was heavy. It would be four feet high and two and a half feet wide, and it was, had layers to it. The layers were made of wood, metal, and even leather or animal hide. There would be two layers of laminated wood covered with linen and then leather strapped around it, and then the edges would have iron. And this was a big, heavy shield that they would carry, but they would get great concealment with it. It would protect them from the arrows coming in. In fact, there are pictures of battles, Roman battles, where the Roman army would come and they would line up. The soldiers would line up with their shields together. They would hold them tightly and crouch under them and wait for the first volley of arrows to come from their opponents. Fire, fiery arrows with pitch on them lit up. And they would come down and stick in their shields. And one, one uh, historian wrote that it sometimes looked like you had a sea of porcupines that were smoldering after these arrows came in. But the arrows came in somewhat harmlessly with these shields, and it wouldn't be long, and the Roman army would move forward. It was a scary sight to see them moving forward, not stopping, with arrows stuck in the shield with smoke smoldering as they went against their enemies. This is the picture Paul is conjuring for us when we come to verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now remember, the evil one is flinging his darts at us in all these ways I've mentioned. But a few weeks ago, I laid out for you the main tactics that the evil one takes. His first one has to do with God's word and promises. He will whisper in your ear or speak through someone to say it's not true. You can't believe it. This book is not reliable. These events didn't happen. It's all made up. It can't apply. That's one way the devil will attack. So we have to have the shield of faith against that. But there's another way that's very personal. It'll be to you, whispering in your ear in some fashion, that you are not worthy of God's love, that you do not deserve his salvation, that you have done something so bad that he cannot forgive you for it. This is one of the devil's favorite ploys, to shoot his arrow at you of doubt, in wonderment about God's love for you. You could not be loved. He's going to send you temptations and deceptions to make you slip up so then he can whisper in your ear, see, you messed up again, you're not really God's child. Both of these are main tactics of the evil one, and the shield of faith is essential against these attacks. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Notice it says in all circumstances. There's not a time where you set your shield down. You have to have it up at all times and ready. In all circumstances, believe in the Lord and his promises is what he's saying. 
That's what the metaphor means. Continually rest in the truth of God's advocacy for you, for his love for you, for his mediation through Christ for you. Constantly live in reference to your positional righteousness in Christ. Remember the breastplate of righteousness and what it means. Never put down the shield of faith. Kent Hughes summed it up well. As we are battling in warfare, the enemy launches repeated volleys of blazing arrows, temptations, strategies, deceptions to inflame us and bring our demise. But come up with our shields of faith as we trust in God and his word, into which hot arrows will thud harmlessly. The shield of faith means belief in God's promises. The shield of faith has to do with trusting in God's provision for us, for Christ's finished work on our behalf. That's what it means to hold up the shield of faith, to trust in these things that have been accomplished objectively for you. In the most important sense, faith is a shield as it connects us to Christ, our supreme advocate. When the devil comes at you, the shield of faith connects us to the one who protects us, Christ consistently and constantly calling us to the work God has done for us that defeats the work, of devil, the work of the devil against us. When the arrows come in, we look to Christ by faith and his advocacy for us. This is why Paul says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. In light of that, let's ask and answer a few questions from this passage and then from a few other passages to best understand what Paul means by this shield of faith. First of all, what is faith and what does it do? Well, faith means believing. Faith is a gift. And faith connects us to God's promises, most particularly Christ. So the answer to what is faith and what does it do, we'll walk through. Very simply, faith means belief. It means trust. It means dependence. And that dependence will lead to action when it's a saving faith that God has granted. But in its basic meaning, we're talking about resting in something as reliable. It's reliable and we can depend upon it. I like to use the, the description for coming to Christ as rest in Jesus and his finished work. Because it Picture someone just lounging upon Christ in his work, knowing there's nothing you could do to earn it. You have to rest in Christ, in what Christ has done. That's what faith is. It's resting in something. It's trusting in something, believing on something, depending on something. That's what is meant by faith. Now, you will hear people in popular vernacular say, just have faith. You want to become a high-level athlete and make it to the next level, and you're working out and you're training and you're working hard, and people say, you got to have faith. You'll get your break. Or uh, maybe you have a business you're starting. You're trying to make money and be, make a living and do well and make it big, if you will. Uh, could be you want to be a celebrity or whatever it is, and you hear people f going through this very, uh, very unlikely goal that you may have, and some will say, just keep the faith. Just keep the faith. Stay, don't stop believing, you'll hear in song. Don't stop believing, whatever you do. Now, there's no basis for that. It's just a, really a stay positive. Don't talk negative, because if you talk negative, you might think you could fail, and then it's all a positive thinking thing. That's not what faith in the Christian understanding means. 
Faith is based on the finished work of Christ, which authenticates all the promises of God. That Jesus lived, died, and rose again, objectively factual, that he did this, rises again, means all the promises of the Scripture can be trusted. So this is not a faith that's blind or doesn't have reason behind it. This is faith rooted in the person of Christ and in the character of God himself. So trusting in God and trusting in Christ, this is not a blind leap of faith. This is really, it's very reasonable when you think about it. However, there's something that's true that we have to recognize. You cannot conjure up this faith, nor can I, because in our fallen state, we're unable to believe and even see the most reasonable things. We can't even interpret things right in front of our face apart from God's aid or without it being skewed when we're in our sin. So we have to be given this faith. The saving faith or the faith that God is speaking of here in his word that will keep us safe against the onslaught of the devil is a gift from him. This is the only way we can have this. We can't conjure it. We can't work it up. It's something that God gives to us. Now, we can test for it for sure. If I say to you, do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? Do you trust in him? Now, you may feel weak when you say, respond, yes, I do. And you're thinking of all the doubts in your minds because of the sins you've committed or the things that have happened or, or some doubt you may have. But you say you believe, and there's some aspect in you. It, you believe. It may be weak. That's still a faith that God must give. You cannot conjure that. That's a gift from him. Now, when we're trying to figure out what Paul means by faith when he talks about the shield of faith, one of the best ways to do good biblical interpretation is see how does Paul use it otherwise. And even better yet, if he in the same book uses this concept, we should go back to it and see because he's probably building on what he's already taught us. And that's definitely the case with the shield of faith. When we go back to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, verses many people probably memorized, it gives us a beautiful picture of faith, and in particular, how we get faith. It says in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, you probably heard these verses, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. It's not something we could do. We are his workmanship, Paul says in Ephesians 2, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. You feel the sovereign grace of God working in the life of a sinner in these first two chapters of Ephesians to give us what we need for salvation. And how does he do it? Well, verse 8, for by grace, God's undeserved favor shown to sinners because of Christ, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Now, notice it doesn't say you've been saved by faith. We sometimes say, I've been saved by faith. I, we know what we mean, but technically, you're not saved by faith. You're saved through faith in Christ. You are saved by Christ. Faith is the way that he has you lay hold of Jesus. You are saved through faith in this respect. But notice what the passage says. It is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. What's the gift of God? Well, being saved by grace through faith. That's the gift of God. So faith, belief in Christ, laying hold of Jesus is a gift that God gives you. So the test is, if I say the gospel to you, you know you're a sinner, that your sins can be forgiven if you trust in Christ that he paid for those sins for you. If you trust in him for the payment of those sins. Amen, I say. And if you believe that, it's because God opened 
your eyes, your blind eyes, to see it. So it's a, it, it's a praise because the person has said they trusted in Christ. But another praise that the supernatural activity of God was clearly involved because none of us would believe if it were not for this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. You know, something else that I alluded to just in what I said that I'll mention here when we're answering this question, what is faith and what does it do? Faith is rightly described as an instrument. It's a tool that God uses to connect us to Jesus. That's the purpose of faith. We're not saved by our strong faith. We'd be in trouble if that were the case. God saves us by giving us faith, even if it's a little bit, in the fully sufficient Christ. So it's an instrument that ties us to Christ. A way that's, I know, somewhat deficient, but maybe helps us understand a little bit. In the South Building, in the Geneva Room, when I want to do a, a presentation there at this point, I have not yet figured out how to do this wirelessly. I'm almost 50, so cut me some slack. So I have to use this. You know what this is? This is a USB-C digital AV multi-port adapter that lets you connect your USB-C-enabled MacBook or iPad Pro to an HDMI display while also connecting a standard USB device and a USB-C charging cable. I knew someone was going to say that. This allows me to connect my iPad or my computer, and then it shows up on the screen. This is the tool that lets us see the substance of what the presentation is. This is what faith is. You can't access what's up on that screen, that info you need, without this. This gives a connection. I'm not saved by this, but this connects me to what gives me what I need. That's what faith is, and faith is a gift given to you. You can't bear down and believe more. That's not what it's about. God gives you faith, and he gives us ways to build that faith, but recognize it. What saves you is Christ, and faith is the constant reminder of this. It's the instrument that connects us to Jesus and his work. It activates the promises of God on our behalf. It's the device that God uses to apply his good gifts to us. Faith is rooted in reality. It's more than just a hope. It has a foundation, and that's the next point. Faith in what or who? I've already said, so I won't belabor, but I do want to accent the importance of understanding this. The key to faith working as a shield, as it were, to defend against the devil is the object of our faith. Who are we believing in to protect us from the devil? Is our faith in something reliable? Faith in God and his promises. That's what makes the shield effective. Sproul said that saving faith is faith in the person and work of Christ. So we must know something about Jesus and what he has done if we are to have actual faith in him. And this is evident from the very existence of the Christian gospel. We tell people about Jesus, giving them biblical content for them to believe. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Think of some of the flaming darts just for a moment. We could see how this faith in Christ delivers us, this faith in God and his promises. When the devil says, God does not love you. Through the Spirit, Paul wrote, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? See, connecting us to Christ, that's the response. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
So when the devil says you're defeated, God doesn't love you, the word of God says, I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present or things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. It's not this, this, this fluffy, sloppy love of God. He just loves everyone. No, it's the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's objective. That's reasonable. That's faith in one who saves and the devil's darts fall flat. You cannot be saved, the devil says to you. Well, that's been said before to people many years, for many years. In fact, the Philippian jailer probably thought that after Paul was miraculously released from prison. He brought Paul and his compatriots out of prison knowing he was in trouble because he had lost them as prisoners, and he said to Paul, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. That's objective. Believe in the Lord Jesus. Another dart falls flat. The devil may say, You're not good enough. You're not good enough for God's salvation. You're weak. You're broken. You cannot be used of God. Paul knew this all too well, and in the Spirit, he writes, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ rests upon me. Notice there's nothing sloppy about this. There's nothing that's just, just you know, so wide that it can include anything. You know, some positive religious talk. No, it's rooted in the person of Christ and his finished work. So that the power of Christ may rest upon me, God uses him even in his weakness. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see how the arrow of the devil will come at you and say you're not good enough. Now, if you're not familiar with the finished work of Christ and what the Bible says and how it applies, you could be hit by that arrow hard. The devil may say you're going to fall away anyways. You may be saved now, but you won't be saved tomorrow. You're going to lose your salvation. He's not going to hold on to you. Jesus himself the one who lived and died and rose again for you. He said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. Now that's not loose. That's tight and it's based on the person of Christ and that's the shield of faith because you have faith in Christ. And when the devil throws his darts at you, you go to Christ by faith. Be worried. Be anxious. you got a lot coming up this next week. You're not going to get it done. You're going to fail people. Things are going to go wrong. Something's going to come in the way of news that you're not ready for, and you won't be able to handle. The devil whispers all that into your ears. Be concerned. Don't sleep well. You shouldn't sleep well. Your heart rate should be going fast all the time. You should be worried constantly. And Jesus says, to us, his children, who he knows. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. Now, if, any, if I'm just telling you that on the basis of Tony, you should stay worried. This is the shepherd, the shepherd of your soul who laid his life down for you. He's the one saying, don't worry about what you'll eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you'll put on. Is not life more than food? 
and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Have you ever sat there in worry and just sat and looked and you watch nature and you see this bird? This bird ought to be worried, you think. I mean, it's, I mean, it's just a bird. He's got a brain this big. But he's not worried about the next seed he's going to eat. He's not worried about where he's going to nest. Just not worried about it. And it's a bird. God takes care of those birds. And Christ, your Savior, says he's going to take care of you, whatever it is. Therefore, do not be anxious, Jesus says, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. These are the darts that come in the shield of faith held up. And this is why Proverbs 35, why I cited it earlier. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. And furthermore, in Psalm 28, 7, the Lord is my strength and my shield. Now here's the question that kind of brings all this to a head. And the part I really want to emphasize with you. I won't take as much time with it, but I'm going to hammer it home. How might your faith then be strengthened? If it's faith we need to withstand the arrows, how can it be strengthened? And it's a pretty simple answer, but a very neglected one. And I think it's just always been a challenge for Christians over the years to see how this might be affected. But if you're here with a weak faith, and I'm sure someone's here with a weak faith, because everybody goes through it. The strongest of us have times of weakness in our faith. But if you have faith, whatever, it may be a, a tiny little string of faith, but you have faith, there's a way for you to strengthen that. And those who have a stronger faith, you're called to keep strengthening that faith because you'll have the ability to help others. Think of people with shields, soldiers with shields. We get together connected as arrows come at us. We're together as a community of believers. We hold our shields together and we can stay strong against the arrows. Someone starts dipping a bit. Someone who's a little stronger helps them lift it up. So we're all working towards seeing our faith grow. And this is the endeavor of the Christian life, this side of glory. One of the great resources we have at our disposal that helps unpack what the Scripture says about this important topic is found in our Confession of Faith. In the Westminster Confession of Faith, in their 14th chapter, it really lays out what we need to know about faith as it's summarized in Scripture. It just takes all the Scripture passages and gives us some really excellent summary statements. Look what it says, and I put it on your insert. The first section of chapter 14, the first section listed, the grace of faith, that's the gift of faith, whereby the elect, those God has chosen to come unto himself. If you believe in Christ, you're one of his chosen. Whereby the elect are enabled to believe to the saving of their souls. It rightly understands that the scripture is saying faith is a gift. And he uses it here, it's the work of the Spirit of Christ in their hearts. How does it come about? How, how is faith given? Where does God normally cultivate this faith? It's ordinarily wrought by the ministry of the Word. So the Word of God, being God's God-breathed words, is the normal way, the ordinary way God will use His Spirit to give us faith, belief. When we hear the truth preached or spoken or read, the Spirit of God quickens us to believe it. Further, which by also and by the administration of the sacraments. So he gives two sacraments, the Lord's Supper and Baptism. These sacraments, by God's ordained will, symbolize the gospel. Water, washing, is the symbolism of the washing away of our sins that Christ gives us. 
The Lord's Supper is very vividly the finished work of Jesus on display. Every time we eat the bread, we drink the cup, we proclaim his death. What does his death mean? His death means we're, our sins are forgiven, and we do so until he comes again in glory. So the gospel preached to us in those sacraments on a regular basis. And there's prayer. We can go to God directly, we're his children, and ask him for understanding, for aid, to know what his will is. So by the word, by the sacraments, by prayer, we're constantly having our faith built up. And it's all done in the community of believers on the primary level. I'd like you to think of faith as a string, like I mentioned, that connects us to Jesus. Not this, this is way bigger than some of our faith. Some, but just a skinny string. Do you feel like you have this skinny little string holding you to Jesus? That's okay. Jesus is big and strong and sufficient. It only takes a string. So if you believe, just even on that level, you are saved because Christ can save you. But God does not want you to stay in that place because if the string is skinny, you're going to be swinging like this when the wind hits you. But as you have your faith built by the gospel's explanation, by the confidence you have in what the gospel says, by what the whole of the scripture teaches us about ourselves, about the world, about God, we grow and that string becomes a rope and it becomes a many-stranded rope and it gets thicker and we sway a lot less. That's the will of God for us in Christ Jesus, that we would grow in that. But for those who have that, that thin faith right now, don't be discouraged. You're here, you believe in the gospel. God's will is to grow you, but you have to be under these means of his grace and growth for that to happen. That's how your faith will grow. There's not other ways. We are so inundated with information at our phones, at our computers, in our discussions, on TV, whatever it is. We take in so much info. There's so much that needs to be taken in that we don't take in. And we have to recognize the importance of that, those means of grace that God has given. If you look at the other sections that I have there listed, they're just rich words that help us understand how faith grows and how God uses faith. By this faith, the section two, a Christian believes to be true whatsoever is revealed in the word. So it's by faith we know that the word to be true. For the authority of God himself speaking therein and acts differently upon that which each particular passage thereof contains. So when we preach the word, we want to be very careful to accurately describe what is being said there. In the Spirit of God will give us aid. Yielding obedience to the commands, trembling at the threatenings, and embracing the promises of God for this life and that which is to come. But the principal acts of saving faith are accepting, receiving, and resting upon Christ alone for justification, sanctification, and eternal life by virtue of the covenant of grace. And I love this last section, and I hope it's an encouragement to you, especially if you feel weak in your faith. This faith is different in degrees, weak or strong, maybe often and in many ways assailed and weakened. In fact, I want to tell you, it will be assailed and it will be weakened at times in your life. This is not abnormal. You haven't lost your salvation. This is the normal experience for us in this fallen world. All the more reason we need the means of grace as a regular a regular something that we ingest, that we're under. Often and in many ways assailed and weakened, but gets the victory, growing up in many to the attainment of a full assurance through Christ, who is both the author and the finisher of our faith. Once again, 
Ephesians 6, verse 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arts, darts of the evil one. A final encouragement to you comes from David. I said there are many verses that speak of God as our shield, but one of my favorite go-tos on a regular basis is Psalm 3, 1 through 3. This had to be one of the worst times in David's life. He had made many a mistake, but he was a man who did trust in God despite all his brokenness and his sins. He had his own son chasing after him. I can't imagine what pain must have been there for him. And in his fleeing from his son, who he was sure would take his life, he prays to God, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him and God. But you, O Lord, are the shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. Let's bow together as I lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of faith in Christ, in your word. These protect us from the evil one. The psalmist wrote of you, you are my hiding place and my shield. I pray, O Lord, that you would bolster our faith today especially as we partake in the means of grace that you have appointed for that purpose. And wherever my brothers and sisters find their faith today, I pray that it would be made stronger through Christ. I pray this in his name. Amen.